everyone, and welcome to another episode of Think ID. My name is Pablo Lapatina. And I'm Williams Monier. And today we're going to be discussing different types of bacteria. It's going to be a very general overview, so you guys become familiar with these different types of bacteria. So let's get started. The first one we're going to be discussing is the gram-positive bacteria. It has a cell wall composed of a thick peptidoglycan layer with repeating sugars called NAG and NAM. Um, in addition, it has inner to the cell wall, it has a cytoplasmic membrane, and that's basically all you need to know for now about the gram-positives. Neg- gram so now for the gram-negatives, they have a single thin layer of this peptidoglycan mentioned, and this falls between an inner membrane called the cytoplasmic membrane and then an outer membrane. And if you ever hear someone refer to a cellular envelope, the cellular envelope is just the outer, inner, or peptidoglycan cell wall layers of the bacteria. So we're going to move on now to gram staining. Gram staining is a technique used to distinguish between gram positive and gram negatives. Gram positive stain purple because they have a thicker peptidoglycan cell wall, which retains the purple stain when even after you wash it off with, um, let's say, alcohol. Mm. Um, and then the gram negatives, they don't retain the color, so that's why then they're restained with a pink dye to be able to differentiate between the gram positive and gram negatives. Interesting. So, yeah. So that's so, how they got their name? Exactly. So gram positives is what color? Purple. And gram negatives is? Pink. Exactly. All right. So the last two categories of bacteria are atypicals and anaerobes. Atypicals are a class of bacteria where, unlike the other two that we just talked about, they don't have that peptidoglycan cell wall. Um, this makes the an- some of the antibiotics whose mechanisms involve cell wall disruption, such as beta-lactams, to be ineffective at targeting these bacteria. And then for anaerobes, these are organisms that don't require oxygen. There's different types of anaerobic bacteria, and depending on which, they can either be hurt by the oxygen or they don't need it, but however can use it as a source of energy. So we're going to go into now some of the more common gram-positive bacterias and the infections that they're mostly associated to. The first one we're going to be referring to is C. difficile. This is an opportunistic bacteria that arises when the normal flora is suppressed due to antibiotics that reach the intestines. So, this, yeah. <laughs> I have a question. What's up? Um, so I heard that certain antibiotics can cause C. diff. Is that true? This is very true. The most common antibiotics associated with C. difficile diarrhea is clindamycin, fluoroquinolones, and cephalosporins. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the next bacteria we're going to be discussing is listeria. Listeria affects newborns, elderly, and adults with a weakened immune system. It usually manifests as meningitis or sepsis, and it can be transmitted through, fr- through food, including ice cream, spinach, or other dairy products. The reason we wanted to discuss this bacteria is because it's really important in pregnancy. Um, 20% of the neonates that are infected could unfortunately pass and die. So does this bacteria affect the mother? That's a good question. It does not. However, there are certain precautions that they should take, um, such as avoiding soft cheeses, deli meats, and hot dogs. What are soft cheeses? Yeah, so soft cheeses are like that feta cheese on your tacos, or the queso blanco, brie, or even blue vein Yeah. Okay. All right, so we're going to move on now to Staph aureus. This is mainly found on the skin and is technically a part of your normal flora but can get out of control and cause skin infections. Something to take with you is that 90% of staph aureus produce penicillinase, which is a type of beta-lactamase enzyme, which gives the bacteria the ability to cleave beta-lactam antibiotics, such as penicillin. 
In order to target these staph infections, they had to come up with a new antibiotic, which was not cleaved by these penicillinases, and this antibiotic was called methicillin. Unfortunately, over the years, Staphylococcus developed resistance to methicillin, and this led to what we now know as MRSA, aka methicillin resistant staph aureus. Something to keep in mind with these methicillin resistant staph is that no beta lactam is effective against it. Well, there is that one exception. Ceftaroline is a fifth generation cephalosporin beta lactam, and it does cover MRSA. Mm. Just a heads up. All right, so septaroline, <laughs> which ends with like the word line in it. So it's like last line. Right, fifth like, generation, the last generation. Like the last line, like the only line that will cover <laughs> this MRSA. Lastly, not lastly, there's one more, <laughs> but this one, the next bacteria we'll be discussing is Streptococcus pneumoniae, also known as strep pneumo. Strep pneumo is the number one cause of respiratory infections and meningitis. Over the years, however, this bacteria has gained resistance to penicillins, and it led to three levels of susceptibility. It can either be, they're either referred to as sensitive, intermediate resistant, or fully resistant. The term susceptibility refers to how effective an antibiotic will be at killing the bacteria. So the last one is Enterococcus facialis and facium? Yeah, facialis and facium. So what do you know about these two types of bacteria? I know one of them is more prominent than the other, and then the other one is more likely to be resistant to something. I do remember that. So how I remembered it was Fecalis sounds like Cali, which is the most populous state in America. So it's the most prominent one. And then makes sense. Facium is the less prominent and the one having to do with resistance. Okay, so how does it have to do with resistance? So resistance comes in with vancomycin, because fun fact, vancomycin at one point used to be equally effective at targeting both of these organisms. Okay. However, over the years, resistance did build, but more so to fascium. So how do you remember this? I remember it by, um... Like, um, you're not going to kill me? No, like, um, okay. you thought you were going to kill me, but I'm resistant. Ha ha ha, you're not going to kill me. Ah, like you thought, but it wasn't the case. <laughs> exactly. All right, so these organisms are most likely to cause what then? UTIs, bacteremia, endocarditis, diverticulitis, and meningitis. Gotcha. All right, so that's it for our brief coverage of the gram-positive, the gram-negative, some anaerobes, and the most common infections. So some infectious news before we bug out. Uh, a recent article, a recent study conducted by the Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology states that patients on dialysis who receive a high-dose influenza vaccine have fewer hospitalizations. Since you know it's flu season and we're talking about everyone getting their flu shots, we encourage that to everyone out there. It's interesting that these dialysis patients actually might benefit from the high-dose flu shot, which right. we usually give to patients over 65, but maybe this population is now benefiting from this different formulation. That is some infectious news. That is infectious news. <laughs> so that's it for this week's episode of Think ID. Until next time, bug you next week. week.